Well, today I have upon me a challenge that I believe is from the Holy Spirit, and you will have to be the judge of that. Um, I prayed with the staff and the board just a few moments ago, and their wives and told them the same thing. You will have to be the judge of this. But I want to preach to you today a message that I've simply entitled, Engaging, Listening, and Loving, a Pastor's Response to the Current Political Chaos that We're In. Like all of us, I am somewhat grieved over the place that the politics has brought our church. Not our congregation, but the body of Christ. I am grieved much more over what I see happening in churches than I am grieved at what I see happening in the nation. I expect this from people who do not know Jesus, but I don't expect a lot of the chaos that I see and that I hear from the church and from the body of Christ. So if you would, I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning as I read from the Word of God, Psalms chapter 119, verse 33. Teach me your decrees, O Lord, and I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. Would you read that with me? I will put them into practice with all my heart. One more time, please. I will put them into practice with all my heart. That's what a passionate follower of Jesus Christ wants to do. We may not do it perfectly. We may not do it perfectly all the time. But we want to do this, don't we? We want to put them into practice. And make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Now, you don't know what worthless things are until, first of all, Jesus becomes the absolute treasure of your heart, as we sang this morning, until Christ is the center of all your affections and all your desires, then you're never really able to discern what is worthy and what is not worthy. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you and help me abandon my shameful ways. For your regulations are good, and I long to obey your commandments. Evidently, the psalmist was having some struggles here. So he says, Lord, I long to obey, and I find that to be true myself sometimes, that I, I'm struggling with obeying <clears throat> or living with a Christ-like spirit. And so I find myself praying this prayer, I long to obey. And so my next prayer is what David prayed here. Renew my life with your goodness. Let's read that together. Renew my life with your goodness. Holy Father, in the name of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, I come to you today. And I ask you to renew not only our congregation, but renew the body of Christ at large, especially in the United States. Lord, renew us with the goodness of God, I pray, for it's in your name we ask it all. And everybody agreed and said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. More than 91.6 million ballots have already been cast for the President of the United States. Let that sink in. 91.6 million. That's more than two-thirds of all the votes that were cast in the 2016 presidential election. This promises to be a landslide year. We already know so much about the two presidential candidates, and if you're like me, you know more about them than you've ever really wanted to know in your life. 
You know, President Trump had been on a very successful career in media and in building hotels, of making his name known. I've been to those cities where you walked in and you, or you flew in, and as you're landing and you're looking at the, the uh, skyline, you see Trump, and you see the hotel and the towers. Becky and I were flying somewhere. We had a layover in New Jersey, and when we flew into New Jersey, there was a Trump airplane sitting on the tarmac. A number of years ago, when he had the television show, The Apprentice, somebody in the church bought me a Donald Trump tie. I will never forget, they were so proud. They said, do you watch The Apprentice? And I said, you know, I've never watched an episode of You need to watch The Apprentice, Pastor. And here, I have a tie for you. It's a Donald Trump tie. And I said, I thought he built hotels and casinos. I didn't know that he was a clothing designer. And he goes, oh, Donald Trump knows everything. Wow. He had drank the Kool-Aid back then, hadn't he? You see, he had made the art of the deal by making his name known prior to the election. He wrote books celebrating not only his immorality, but bragging about his infidelities on his own his third marriage. Joe Biden is known for four decades of political experience. He's become an expert at running for the president of the United States. How many presidential elections has he actually been in? If he's elected, he would be the oldest president that we've ever had elected in the United States before. He ran for president in 1988, 2008, 2016. In one election, President Biden had to back out of the election. He was embarrassed because he had plagiarized a British politician's stories and were telling his stories as though they were his very own stories. You know, I worked in mental health, and there is a condition that happens to people. You can tell a lie so many times, and you actually believe the lie. You actually believe the story that you're telling is your story. And so I don't think that President, excuse me, that Senator Biden was actually trying to lie. I think he had told that story so many times that he'd actually believed it. And as I've listened to his campaign, I have listened to President Trump and I've listened to Senator Biden or Vice President Biden. One thing is taken place in my heart, and I've told my wife, I said, you know, in all the presidential elections that I have voted in, I've never really been that concerned about the vice presidential candidate. But with two presidential candidates holding the most demanding job in the world, the most time-pressure job, the most stress-filled job, the vice presidential candidacy becomes more important now than ever before. There's something about both of these men that they're ambitious and they're driven. If you want to be a leader, you need to have a fire in your belly. If you want to be a leader, you need to be, have core convictions that guide you and lead you. And what we need are statesmen and not politicians. Statesmen are people who have core convictions that they never waver from. Politicians are those who are always looking for what is popular, and they pay a special attention to polls because polls tell them how they ought to vote. It's remarkable to me that prior to running for the president of the United States, President Trump was pro-abortion. 
But when he decided to run for the president of the United States, he became pro-life. He knew he could never be elected for a party who has already declared that abortion is the murder of the unborn human being. He knew he could never win on that ticket, and he became a pro-life politician. Joe Biden, on the other hand, he's always been very flexible in his core convictions. Whatever the course of the country has taken, he's continually course-adjusted. He hasn't stayed on the same track. You know, a sailor has to zig and zag, and sometimes a leader has to zig and zag. After the primaries, we generally expect both of our candidates to come back to the center. Both of these candidates have stayed, have gone further right and further left in their convictions. So has Senator Biden. There was a time when he supported the Hyde Amendment, and now he no longer supports the Hyde Amendment, and he believes that taxpayers should be coerced into paying for abortions right up to the day of birth. He surrendered a core conviction that he said he had as a Roman Catholic, that life matters. He surrendered on another conviction. He surrendered on another conviction, and that was on gender. Recently, he made the statement that was newsworthy, was shocking even to me, coming from the former vice president, when he said if a child at eight years old felt like that their gender needed to be changed, that we should support their choice. Well, this past week, he's come out with even stronger language because the left jumped on him so hard because they hate that word choice when it comes to gender. You see, whatever you feel decides whether or not you're male or female, and he, of course, adjusted his language this week. Now, don't think I'm taking cheap shots or pot shots at either one of these candidates. I'm basically reading to you what they have said and what they have written. And I think it's important that we understand the stories of these two men. A few years ago, I had lunch with a businessman who will be here in one of our services today. And he told me he was an ardent Joe Biden supporter. <clears throat> this was in 2016. As I was talking to him, he said to me, Joe Biden believes in what I believe in. I don't agree with him when it comes to abortion. I don't agree with him when it comes to human sexuality, but I agree with him on these core issues. Well, just recently he called me to say, you know, I can no longer support Joe Biden because he's gone so far left. I sat around and thought about that, and I went back to my journal, and I pulled up our notes for we had talked about. One of the things that he told me about Joe Biden was true. He said, Joe Biden is folksy. Joe Biden is the kind of guy that I could imagine sitting down and having a, a drink with. I could just imagine us getting together for lunch. You know, I got to thinking about that. If I had to choose between, you know, going out to coffee with Joe Biden, I would jump at that chance. The man has fascinating stories. Whether they're true or not, I don't know, but he believes them. And I would jump at the chance to go out with uh, President Trump for a cup of coffee and to talk with President Trump. But I have a feeling that if I tried to tell him anything about Woodland Church or my family while he's talking about how great he is, he would probably leave the table and no longer have a cup of coffee with me. That's basically my perception as a pastor and as a voter to the two men that are running. 
You see, the challenge that we're facing is one of these two men will be the next president of the United States of America. One of these two men is not somebody that I'm liable, nor are you liable, to have lunch with or coffee with. But instead, they will lead this nation, a nation that we pledge allegiance to, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I'm a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, unashamedly so. Let me restate that. I am a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. I also have God's call on my life as do the pastors of this church and pastors in other denominations as well to serve as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I happen to belong by choice and conviction to a denomination called the Assemblies of God, of which I hold to all 16 fundamental truths that state our doctrinal position. But I also understand that politics have a very real significance for every one of our lives, and especially for the communities and the cities and the towns and the neighborhoods that we believe in. I do believe in justice, and I do believe in liberty for all. That means all lives, white lives, black lives, yellow lives, whatever color, I believe in justice for all. But my ideas of justice and human dignity are not rooted in someone's thought that can change from day to day. My ideas and thought on human justice and liberty is what birthed the great Constitution of the United States, is what birthed the great Declaration of the Independence. And tragically, no one reads the sermons of the Founding Fathers, pastors and the Puritan Founding Fathers. No one reads those messages anymore that gave birth to the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence for the United States because we believe that justice and liberty and human dignity are rooted in the transcendent truths of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we derive these human rights for all. Today, I make no apology that I believe in and cling to Christ Jesus who suffered and died for my sins at Calvary and was raised again on the third day, that God so loved this world so much. God is not angry at this world, but God loves this world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. I also believe in a theological concept that I don't talk about often from our pulpit. I have talked about it. We did an entire Wednesday night series here on it. Uh, if you ever attended that series on what it means to be created in the image of God. We talked about common grace, where all human beings are formed in the image of God, and that there are Truths that are revealed in creation as the Bible declares. Truths about marriage, truths about family, truths about what it means to build a community, truths about what stewardship and economy means, truth about culture, truth about the glory of God and a creator who is not only divine and intelligent, but intimately involved in the affairs of this world by whom all things hold together. 
And wherever these truths have been, have been denied, it has led to a decline, it has led to a destruction of a civilization, and always led to some sort of totalitarian government where these truths have been denied because people want order, and sooner or later they capitulate to someone who promises order to them. It's all that the enemy looks for is for someone to come in and for a civilization to give up on the truths of the Word of God. We live in a fallen world. We preach a doctrine called the fall of man. I deal with this in almost every message that I preach. But we believe that this world, if you attended the series that I did on culture, and you remember when we had the stage decorated with cultural items, we believe that there is good and bad in culture, and we should celebrate all of the good that we see in culture, and we should work for the elimination of evil that we see in culture. And we know until Christ comes again that we're going to enjoy successes and failures. Let me say that again, that until Christ comes again, we're going to enjoy successes and failures. And as one of the founding fathers said, we have given them an opportunity. We have given them a nation. We have given them a government. We have given them a constitution. We have given them liberty if they can keep it. And it falls to every generation to either safe gain, safeguard the gains that have been made or either let go of those. You need to understand something else about me as a pastor as I make this, this message this morning and this appeal. As a young Christian, I was often told I had no business in politics, that the church had no business in politics. As Christians, we were told that the gospel transcended politics and that we should just focus on leading lost people to Jesus Christ. I was told things like politics will make you dirty, politics are, will make you cheap, politics will cause you to compromise. And I have to tell you, in those early days not knowing any better, I drank the Kool-Aid and I warned people in my congregation to stay away from politics because politics was just dirty. As a matter of fact, there were three things you didn't trust. One, in you, at least where I grew up, one, you didn't trust a carpetbagger, you didn't trust a lawyer, and you didn't trust a politician. Those were three things you didn't trust growing up down south. Well, something happened. Something happened, and that something was abortion. And I will never forget on my knees weeping over the loss of that. I will never forget the controversy that erupted in our nation. And I tried to stay far away from it because I believed that politics was dirty. And then one day a man befriended me. He was a senator. He took time with me, spent time with me, took me places, talked to me about politics how that politics was a noble calling, how that politics was how that God worked in our communities and God worked in our society for the governance and the good of all. Eventually, he persuaded me of how important politics would become. And I read for the first time in my life, growing up in a democratic household and generations of Democrats and uncles who criticized me for ever thinking that anything other than a Democrat candidate was the right candidate to vote for. 
But what happened was, is when the Democratic Party eventually became the party defending abortion and the Republican Party became the party saying that life mattered at all stages. I have never been satisfied with either party. I want to say that again. I have never been satisfied with either party. I've never been satisfied with the promises of the Democrats when it came to health care and when it came to immigration. I've never been satisfied with the Republicans when it came to abortion and sexuality. And as repulsed as I was and I still am by the character that our current president exhibits, I have had to admit something that has made some of my friends very angry with me. And that is that our current president has been the most effective and been the most pro-life president that I have seen in my lifetime. I'm not excusing his character when I say that. I've had many people say to me, if he could just stay off Twitter, he would be okay. I've had many people say to me, if he would just not feel like he had to respond to every attack, he's brought out some of the basis instincts and politics and politicians with the guttural level that he goes to. But he has done for pro-life causes. He has done more than any president that I have ever experienced or witnessed in my life. And I have to be honest, it makes me tremble when I think of what the other party would do if they came into power to try and undo all of the pro-life decisions that have been made. When I listen to governors and I listen to Democrat politicians say, and sometimes the fact checkers for the Washington Post and for the New York Times try to deny it, but when I go back and read the speeches, even the fact checkers are lying in their attempt to try and cover. So I stand as a pastor to speak to you on Tuesday to vote intelligently. And that is simply this. No other issue touches my heart like the issue of pro-life. No other issue touches my heart like the life of the unborn child. Becky and I are the parents of four wonderful adopted children. Would have been five if she would have just agreed to it, you know. I have had the privilege at a distance of watching that other baby grow up after she was persuaded not to have an abortion. I have had the privilege of watching from a distance and seeing that child grow because a young girl was lovingly persuaded, not confronted with a, an aborted fetus, not confronted with somebody screaming and calling her names, but confronted by a loving Christian family that says, we will pay your medical expenses. We will take you into our home. We will love you and care for you. And she became a follower of Jesus Christ. Life matters to me. Yes, economy, stewardship, immigration, gender, all of those matter to me. But nothing Nothing touches my heart quite like the issue of pro-life. However, you must know today that the people who disagree with me are not my enemies. They may be opposed to what I believe politically. They may be an enemy politically. I don't even like to use that word. But I have met and made and reached out to people, and that's the three points that I would like to leave you with today. This coming week, I will have lunch with a black activist 
who he and I see eye to eye on nothing. But he called me, and he asked me, would you have lunch with me? Would you talk with me? Would you sit down? And he used these words with me, would you listen to me? And I go, of course I will. I'll listen to anybody who'll buy me lunch. And so we're going to meet together, and we're going to talk, and I'm asking you to pray. I'm praying. I'm interceding for him as well. Nothing would thrill me more, not so that I could have a notch on my spiritual six-shooter, but nothing would thrill me more than to see him come to Jesus Christ. We probably would never agree on every political aspect, but he asked me if I would have lunch with him. He asked me, would I listen to him? So here are three things I would like to share with you this morning. Love for God and my neighbor must motivate my politics. Love for God and my neighbor must motivate my politics. You see, the gospel simply means good news. That Jesus came into the world to save sinners and Donald Trump is not the chief of sinners. Joe Biden is not the chief of sinners. You're looking at him this morning. You're listening to him this morning. Somebody could go through the skeletons of my closet if my life was as public as his and pull out all kinds of things. I made a statement in this pulpit over a year ago, and I said, if you could see everything that went on in my heart, you would never want me as your pastor, and you would never want to have a cup of coffee with me. And that week, I received calls from numerous people in the church who said, oh, pastor, if you could see into my heart, you would never want me to be a part of Woodland. You would never want me to have coffee with you. You see, Christians above all others know we are sinners redeemed by the love and the grace of God. And there before God's grace and love go every single one of us. I'm not a better person than my lost friend. I'm just a saved person. And I hope to make choices that are good and godly. Jesus overturned the tables in the temple, not because he had a temper tantrum. He overturned the tables in the temple because the religious leaders and the politicians had perverted the gospel and made it into a message of gain to try to keep the poor people and others from coming to know the amazing grace. It was love that caused him to overturn the tables. And it's love that compels me to preach this message. Either way, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life, or our sins. He died for everyone so that all who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Secondly, this morning, engagement is God's way of dealing with people. Engagement is God's way of dealing with people. For the church to disengage from the world, and as those well-meaning people taught me in my early days of Christianity, stay aloof, stay away, stay disengaged from politics. Well, friends, let me tell you, as a pastor of over 40 years, as your pastor for over 20 years, the biggest danger I see in a marriage is when couples disengage. 
When couples disengage and no longer talk with one another, when couples disengage and no longer communicate with one another, when dis couples disengage and no longer pray with one another, instead they try to avoid each other. You see, God engaged with this world. He became one of us from the very beginning. Our holy God, when he created Adam as a man and created Eve from Adam as a woman, God himself would come down in the cool of the day and he would walk with Adam and he engaged with them. And even after our forebears sinned, God made a way where he could still engage with people. And as you read the Bible, you read a story of God's amazing love and God's amazing grace until that great day when Jesus Christ became the incarnate Son of God. When God was born among us, Emmanuel, God engaged. And when Christ ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit, and he lives within our hearts. And as Dick Van Dyke tells the story of a doctor whose little girl gave her life to Jesus Christ, and she came home, and she got her father's stethoscope and put it in her ears and put it on her heart, and she ran into the kitchen and said, it's true, it's true, it's true. Her mama says, what's true? She said, Jesus lives in my heart. I can hear him knocking around in there. You see, God engages with us. And I am so glad that when I look at Jesus, I see Jesus, meek and lowly, humble yet powerful. You see, meekness is not powerless. Meekness is power under control. It's why the Bible tells us always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love and make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. You see, Jesus' glory was not diminished because he engaged with lost people. My faith is not diminished because I engage with lost people. My faith is increased. And if you're worried about your personal holiness or if you're worried about your personal sanctification or if you're worried that you might sin, then don't go to work tomorrow. Don't send your children to school. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. And being engaged politically does not mean that somehow or another that soils us. And you say, what's the key? Well, I think this verse of Scripture is, you see, humility is how I deal with my ego. I've told the story before, but I left church one time thinking I had done such a great job, and Becky just humbled me really quickly. All of a sudden, I went from the world's greatest preacher to the world's worst klutz. Now, she didn't do it in meanness. I asked her opinion, and there is one thing I appreciate about my wife. It's transparent honesty. You see... It's important that we know our own hearts, isn't it? For the Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. And gentleness, humility is how I deal with my ego, but gentleness is how I deal with other people. Like Jesus did. He was gentle with lost people. And evangelism is engagement with lost people and with life at all levels. You see, there's one other thing I'd like you to see here, two other things quickly. Listening is different than hearing. Listening is different than hearing. It's why the Bible says, listen to this, this is great. 
Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Before you get on Facebook or before you get on Twitter, I have been tempted to send this to the president so many times. Before you respond to what somebody says on Facebook, before you respond to some incendiary message, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Listen to Mark chapter 4 and verse 24, what Jesus said. Listen carefully to what you hear. And I hope you're listening to me carefully this morning. Listen carefully to what you hear. The way you treat others will be the way you will be treated and even worse. We cannot have a dialogue if we're not listening to one another. And we cannot have a dialogue if we're demonizing one another. I have found my Democratic friends are willing to listen to me. And by the way, I know this is very insulting to some people, but I'm not a Republican nor Democrat. I'm an independent and at this point, I will remain so. I'm neither a Republican nor a Democrat, but I have found my Democratic friends and Republican friends are willing to listen to me because they know their name will be safe in my mouth. They know that. And they know I will not walk out of a conversation when they've asked me or said something to me in confidence. Listening is important. Loving people is understanding they are created in the image of God. Even when I disagree with people, I need to remember they're created in the image of God. What I say about them matters. How I speak to them matters. And unless you misunderstand this, let me read. As a matter of fact, read it with me. Go ahead and put it on the screen. It's the most beloved verse of Scripture known to human beings. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So what do we do with this? Let me just quickly give you growth work because I have run out of time. You must stay calm. Say that with me. You must stay calm. Look at your neighbor and say that to them this morning. You must stay calm. Now, you know you have heard the Word of God because somebody besides the pastor just told you. Dan, is that you over there in the dark? Dan, you must stay calm. I didn't see anybody talking to you. So don't go home feeling unloved today. You're loved. You're created in the image of God, and I want to listen to you. I want to listen to you and to you, and even if you disagree, I want to listen to you. If I speak with human eloquence, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. You see, I want my potential new friend, the one thing I want him to know when he leaves the lunch table, whether he agrees or disagrees with me. I want him to know, because he doesn't believe this, he's created the image of God. I want him to know that he is loved of God. 
I want him to know that Jesus died for our sins. And I want him to know I love him. You say, you don't know that. I, I do. Something has happened in my heart. Because when you pray for your enemies, it changes your attitude towards them. When you pray for people that disagree with you, it changes your attitude towards them. So here are Pastor Clanton's Ten Commandments for the political times that we're living in. I'm going to be quick. If you believe that, say amen. Oh, you're a sucker. <laughs> I will be quick. Be realistic about the times we're living in. They're chaotic. They're divisive. They're angry. They're politically hostile. Stay calm. Jesus doesn't yell at lost people. Imitate Christ in all you do, especially with social media. I don't want to see anybody from Woodland saying incendiary, hateful things. Express your opinions, but remember, Christ turned over the tables in love. He did that in love. Comment with faith, hope, and love without making personal attacks on someone. I hope that you don't feel that I've attacked either President Trump or Vice President Biden. That has not been my goal. My goal has simply been to bring out the truth of the Scriptures. God has said that He would give us leaders after our own hearts. You're seeing the heart of America. You're seeing the church as the remnant in society. And more than ever, we must pray and fast and once again share the good news of Jesus Christ. Help people who disagree with us understand what we believe. I have had some limited success in changing the minds of people that are pro-death, as I choose to call those who campaign for abortion rights. I don't think it's choice. I think it's death. I have been able, hopefully, to persuade some people limited that this gender issue is much more important, that because a few psychologists say it's right, doesn't make it right. If this denomination that we belong to ever says that the Bible is not the inspired Word of God, that Jesus is not the divine, virgin-born Son of God who lived a sinless life and died a substitutionary death for us, if this denomination was ever say that Christ was not coming again and after His coming there would be this, this climactic time and there would be the judgment, friends, I would leave this denomination because what a denomination says does not change the truth of the Bible. That's the core of what we live for. Serve God in our community. Stand for truth, but keep growing. I'm growing every single day in grace and truth. Examine your preconceptions with Scripture. Sometimes, my friends, have forced, especially when it's come to immigration. I believe in borders, but I want to tell you something. Every child in a detention center every separated family, every person trying to get here on a raft or a boat. Some of you haven't done what I've done. I've held the children 
I've fed them, I've loved them, I've rocked them to sleep, I've put them to bed. They matter, and those families matter. When you walk through the streets of some of these countries, then you understand why so many people want to come to America. So examine your preconceptions with Scripture. Do not be silenced. Do not be silenced by those who disagree. And then always love those who disagree with me. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? I know this has been a challenging message. But you need to understand this morning that the issues that we're talking about, they are life and death issues. They're the future of our country. So I hope that you don't feel like if you're a fan of the president or you're a fan of the vice president, that somehow or another I've taken a cheap shot. I hope that you will listen. I hope that you will maybe re-listen to this message and then examine the scriptures that I've offered you and the growth work that I've offered you. It's all online at our website, www.woodland.church. It's also on our church app that you can download. Feel free to write me. I love to hear from people who disagree with me. And I promise you, if you sign your name, I will respond to you. If you don't put your name on it, you'll never hear from me. But I promise you, I'll respond to you this week if you write to me. But in the meantime, can I ask you, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, would you consider that right now? God loves you so much that he came into this world to save you from your sin. Save me from my sin. And believe me when I tell you, I was the chief of sinners. If God can change me, God can make you into a brand new person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your word that gives us not only ample guidance, but gives us abundant guidance of principles in life. I thank you for the gift and the love of Jesus Christ, who by his death and his resurrection has achieved our salvation if we only put our faith in him. And we are saved, Lord, through faith, by grace, in Christ alone. And so as much as we know how, each of us ask you, forgive us of our sins as we forgive others. And Lord God, help us to live an overcoming life for you. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much for being here. May the Lord bless you. May he smile upon you. May he cause the works of your hands to prosper and be abundant. And may he grant us favor to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone we meet this week. The Lord bless you. Go in peace.